Zach oh. does not even know who the Wu-Tang Clan are. Oh, don't. Zach, name one member of the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, you can't, I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> can't name just Thank one. You. I don't. <laughs> just. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I've listened to them for sure. Um, name I one member. Don't... I. <laughs> <laughs> if you can name one, I'll I, give it to I you. I listen to lots of groups that I can't list one member of. They all had solo careers. <laughs> one. one. You know that I'm not into hip hop that much. Just one. Want <laughs> me to Google it? I'll just dig. Uh... No, dig deep. <laughs> Too late. Redwood Soundwell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And this is Alex. Yeah, we are joined again by our special guest host from our favorite podcast, at least, A Cosmic Void. And he is joining us for the 1984 Stephen King classic, Children of the Corn. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, Alex. What's your kind of uh, take on it? Did you watch this when you were younger? Uh, is this a relatively fresh one? It was one of those ones we used to make fun of Malachi all the time, but I didn't really know the reference. And then in high school, we sat down to watch it, just really, really ready. And we were like, really? <laughs> it was, it's, it's always weird when you watch a horror movie and it's not scary. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think this is Stephen King's fault. I know the screenplay, he wrote one and then it got taken away from him and somebody else wrote it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. The first time I was on your guys' podcast, it turned out to be a parable about 9-11, right? And uh, this time I'm like looking into it because I'm like, I don't want to get surprised this time. And it was about the Shah in Iran. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm noticing a theme here. Now that I didn't know. I was just like, hey, Children of the Corn kind of sucks. Let's let's watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make it it's, better it... now that you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. This is one of those movies that is, I think it's, it's catastrophically bad in a way that is so cultishly fun. And what is not an adult's worst nightmare than being murdered by children? Either their own, their own children or children in general. It is kind of like such a, such a funny thing. And Stephen King has a really great way of taking something that could theoretically happen and then just absolutely beating the heck out of it until it's a plot. And you know what? He never pulled punches with religion and i thank him for that <laughs> yeah it's in this one yeah it is both like okay this isn't really scary because like you just watch bert's character just like kind of wail on these kids and like he just throws them around and stuff and it, he, he almost like has this swagger to it like he enjoys it you know <laughs> it's like okay like who's really the bad guy here he's just beating kids up but you know they're self-defense so some degree but it's also like kind of scary because uh, you see a child and you're like, okay, innocence, right? And that's, we, we grow to have that kind of like uh, association with it. And actually my favorite part of this shitty movie is when they walk into Job and Sarah's old house and they open the door and they're like really scared because they hear some noises and they're like, oh my God, there's there's someone here. And they just went through like the creepy town with all the 
the corn stalks everywhere and they're ready to like get ambushed and then they they go into the room and they like look petrified and they start laughing because they see oh it's sarah just sitting there alone they're like oh it's just a kid you know and i think that that sets up nicely like what the horror really is here right it's just like you see a kid and you're like oh it's it's just a kid like there's there's nothing to be afraid of here well when the kids group together and have you know farming tools to stab you with <laughs> and this weird like demonic satanic r- religion that they they associate uh with it yeah it gets a little scarier i think yeah it also speaks to a fear that i don't think is as prevalent nowadays but at the time would have been at the forefront of a lot of people's mind which is just straight up getting lost i mean i i can't explain how much easier my life is now that i have GPS on my phone all the time telling me where to go, what street to turn down when I go to a city I don't know. Because around the time this movie came out, for years after this movie came out, you could go somewhere you didn't know. And if you weren't great at reading a map or if you just miss a turn, you have no idea where you're at. You have to figure it out. A lot of the time you get gas stations that are closed and then you wind up just getting murdered by children, I guess. <laughs> like, But it, it, I think it speaks to that fear that a lot of people had because all you had was an atlas in your car if you even bothered to put one in your car. And sometimes roads change. And I, I feel like there's a particular thing at this time, the early 80s, late 70s, they're building highways everywhere. And so it's right at, at this turn of where it's starting to get easier to find your way around. But still, sometimes like you break down or something, you wind up on the side of the road and you don't know where you're at. And that can be very frightening, especially this is a couple years removed from a giant gas shortage in the 70s. So I think that's prevalent in people's minds as well. Yeah, I think that this movie hits differently, too, when you both actually grew up surrounded by cornfields and also religious fundamentalism versus i would say uh you know a more urban upbringing you might not have the same sort of relevancy or experience because this film can easily seem like this wild midwestern story that is meant to scare kids but i mean there were people that may not have been murderous but they were like this There were there were kids who were like, I know the Bible only because I have been told the Bible several times. And using that as like a justification, I think is is incredibly, incredibly horrifying to both live through and perceive, especially as like a kid. Because even as like a child watching this movie, I don't think that you would feel a particular kinship with the actors in this movie. Right? <laughs> Especially with the way that they act. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's a, it's a, like a scary concept, but there's something about the way that this movie does the horror that it's, it's so dulled and it's so slow. Uh, At about the 50 minute mark when, when Zach and I were watching this at the same time, I said, oh God, is this still happening? (laughs) And it's like... It just, it just feels like it's so long and there are so many shots of cornfields. Now, I will say, though, cornfields, legitimately terrifying. I mean, you could just do a movie about the cornfield. No. No. Nope. He did nope. that. <laughs> in the I tall forgot. grass. That will, I forgot yeah. he did it in the tall grass. And also not very good, I gotta say. No. Oh, my God. That. So, yeah, and 
maybe we'll probably never do an episode on Tall Grass. So I guess now is as good a time to talk about it as I am. But Matt and I watched that together like what, like a year ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And God, it's so bad. <laughs> it's, I, would, I had let that like on my Netflix list for a while, like excited to watch it. And then we finally like sat down and watched it. And I was like, oh my God, really? Like this, the idea of having like, you know, being enclosed in in this cornfield, like not knowing which way is is where, uh, you know, that could be terrifying. But it's just that it's like the, the extra uh, kind of layer that they put on it. It's just like makes it less scary, even though it's supposed to be more scary. Yeah. You know? And you know, with this, there is well, even within the tall grass too. It's like there's this like extra paranormal kind of idea that goes along with it and it almost would have played better if the like demon he who walks behind the rose or whatever hadn't actually been real yeah so stephen king um please rewrite it that's what i'm saying so matt you were talking about the the cornfields being kind of scary and uh i want to source this so this i believe is vivian Sobchak. i I checked with a, a professor friend of mine to make sure i got this right but uh, it's what's called the nowhere space. And so basically it's it's an area that you can move through and is tangible, but you can't see the other side. So like uh, when we talked about Jaws, for example, the ocean is a really good nowhere space because you can move through it, but you can't see everything around it. And the cornfields are that way as well. And I think when it's effective is when you have maybe somebody with a knife coming after you. Like there is a primal scary thing about that, which is why it's employed in horror movies so much, right? Like you have an alien in a field or you have somebody going through the cornfields looking for you and you can hide, but you can also see. And so it's frightening because the danger can be anywhere. The problem is that they have that element, but then they stack supernatural on top of it. And it's like, you can have supernatural or you can have serial killers, but you can't have both. It's too much. It's it's so much thrown against a wall. It just feels ridiculous at a certain point. I don't know. Um, I've, I think I've told this story on the podcast, but I don't know if you'd heard it, Alex. When I was younger, uh, because I, I grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in, in uh, farm country, uh, I was go-karting with a friend and we got s- stuck accidentally drove it into a swamp and i wasn't driving it he was but then i was the one tasked with like go to find help oh my god so i was wandering through cornfields trying to get back to like the main road or something so that i could get back to like our respective houses because we we were neighbors but we lived probably a mile and a half to two miles away from each other but like looking for something in this cornfield and i ended up at this uh, house with all of these like big scary dogs outside and it was the strangest experience because when i went into the house it was like felt like almost like a hospice situation where there were people in like beds in the living room and there was like an old woman but she let me call my mom which i don't think the i mean the whole crazy situation to be in that i found some random woman's house and she was kind enough to let me call my mom because i was like 10 um so (laughs) i have i have a a fear of cornfields that i believe is thoroughly cemented and totally justified (laughs) (laughs) having a fanatic who is so personally charismatic and and, and as uh, you know a child he's 
so incredibly smart being able to sort of repeat all of this religious hokum to these kids but with such vigor that he's able to sort of control them in that way it really makes the connection with the ayatollah khomeini a lot more striking but like you know any sort of charismatic evil i mean you could go hitler but you know on a much smaller scale and not smaller because he's a child, Zach. I know that's what you're thinking. No, that's <laughs> not what I was thinking at all. I was just thinking Hitler in a cornfield. That's what I was like. <laughs> well, and I would say, once again, the metaphor with, with the Ayatollah would match so much better if you took out the supernatural element. But nobody is going to draw that conclusion watching this movie. I mean, I watched it and I was sure this was just about the fire and brimstone thing that kind of happens in a lot of the middle of the country. I mean, I live in Montana, so I'm not, I'm not that far from all of that. You know, it's, it's not so much cornfield here. It's a lot of wheat fields and, and pastures and things, but like, I, I know it. Like I, you know, I can drive 20 miles in any direction and then I will wind up in a really weird situation where we have like hooterites and uh, they have these strange churches with like 10 houses around them. And each one in the exact same location. And you're like watching it and you're like, this is creepy. There's something inherently creepy about that. Uh, maybe it's because I don't understand it. Maybe it's because it's these very, very devout people that live their life in a way that like I just I can't really wrap my mind around how that's done. But I don't expect them to have a dark God like try and like crucify somebody either. <laughs> Like, I just didn't need that, you know? The blue man that holds so much power. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, the blue man, which was a police officer, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that was hour, hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes into the movie before they, like, first mention him uh, being up on the stock. And the second that it happened, I was just cracking jokes about the blue man crew. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, they're... There is this like conceivable depth to the lore of whatever this like faux religion is that these children have, but I feel like and I have not read the Children of the Corn story. I don't know how he delivers it there. I'm actually not a huge fan of Stephen King's writing. I know it's blasphemy, but it's just like there is this lore to it that we don't really get much insight into until like almost an hour in. And we get so many scenes of, okay, they're driving, they're driving. Oh, look, a child got murdered. Okay, so the pacing gets a little shook up there. And it's, they just kind of roll with it. So it's not even that like big of a disruption to the plot and to like the overall pacing of it. So they just kind of keep driving and they drive through cornfields and it's just like more of the same. And then suddenly Bert is being chased by a bunch of children for half an hour straight. And then we start getting some stuff about what the kids are actually doing when he gets into the church. And it's just, I feel like they wait too long because they're trying to like amp up the mystery. And it's like, listen, this movie is called Children of the Corn. Like we kind of get what's going on here. There's even a narrator that's telling us what's going on. So it's like, why, why wait for that? Yeah, there's a good movie here somewhere. They just piled so much. I mean, the beginning... I thought was a genuinely good scene where they're at the diner and all of a sudden all the adults are, I I assume, being poisoned. And then there's like the on the receiver, you can hear another parent being killed. And I thought that was a really good way to set it up. 
And I think that there is a good story behind that. And it's very telling that this has been redone in, in a number of ways. And I don't mean the sequels, but I mean just the premise where they don't have a god or whatever. It's just like kids run amok. You know, I, I don't feel like it's a thing we saw a lot before this movie, but that little kernel of an idea, there is something behind it, you know? And I'm always a fan of a kid yelling, Outlander! Like, down the street, so. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. What was the other, what was the other phrase they had for them? There's Outlander. Interloper. And, uh, interloper. It's like, these are, these are both, like, Outlander kind of makes sense for a kid to say, but, like, interloper, like, you're telling me that these, like, 10-year-old kids know what interloper means? <laughs> But I I think that's part of the creepiness they're trying to go for, though, is like you have these kids that are putting on adult costumes in a way that they don't really mm-hmm. understand it. And I, I feel like that's where some of the fear would come from, is that kids don't understand how the world works. And so they interpret it in wrong ways, you know, and I think the religious stuff shows that, right? Like they, they try and crack at that because they have a book at one part and uh the guy's like yelling something about you're probably just plucking the parts that bolster your case or whatever. And there's validity to that. What do they know about it? They were probably just told by one child who was there and they all bought in. But that's the way kids can be. They'll just they follow the leader, you know? Yeah. Well, I also like that moment where Bert is saying, like, you could just kind of like cherry pick the the parts out of the bible that suit your needs because like christian people do that too oh yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like i i kind of like that statement going on underneath which is like kind of weird to hear that it's about the shot shot. (laughs) (laughs) because it's like i thought it was about something else you know and like there there were some good statements being made about that it's just like even if you're gonna go in either of those two, two directions or both possibly i just feel like they didn't really lean into it enough and not that it needs to be like you're bashing your audience over the head with it but just have like commit you know i just feel like there wasn't that commitment to hey here's what we're trying to accomplish here's what we're trying to tell our audience aside from that kids can be creepy interesting sort of division between what isaac is preaching and what they're supposedly worshiping because you have the scene in the church where he's carving the the like star into his chest and then you have Isaac who's doing all of all of this preaching it's it's not explicitly biblical even though all of the characters are biblically named so Isaac and Malachi and Job and Sarah but like he who walks behind the rose is this fabrication of a god and it's almost like a translation error on the part of the children like they don't necessarily know what's happening and they've misinterpreted it which i think is a great example of what christians do all the time with the bible which is take it and misconstrue what it's actually saying they they lose the message but then in losing the message and in the translation you have people like Malachi who comes up subservient to Isaac, but then believes that he has accrued enough information without receiving it himself to take over. So you have a translation that has been passed down by rote that has was already incorrect. And then uh, I, I think that that's where you get like the big separation in this movie between Isaac and Malachi, whereas Isaac does not think that he is doing something wrong. Isaac is in fact trying to be like good as far as good can go for this thing that he believes to be God, whereas Malachi is just being cruel for the sake of cruelty. 
He's capitalizing on the situation. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Malachi reminds me of, honestly, like a few kids I knew in high school who just, <laughs> they they took the literal word and they they were cruel with it a lot of the time just because, I don't know, like, I don't know if that was their upbringing or just maybe, like, for whatever reason, they took something literally. But um, I, I've certainly had friends who were gay who got persecuted, just absolutely raked over the coals by some of the religious kids at our school. I, I mean, honestly, like other kids, too, but it felt like it was always worse when it was like the youth groups and things like that, because they had to strengthen numbers to bully people, you know? And uh, there would always be one or two kids at the head of that that were making sure that they were keeping everybody, quote unquote, flying right and coming after them. And uh, yeah, like I, I've known some Malachi's. It's uh, it's definitely, he's a well-drawn character. I think he's one of the few things in this movie that actually really works. I think the, the dynamic between him and Isaac uh, works really well too and it's kind of like what you're saying about like the christian kids kind of like taking the helm of like of being a little more cruel with it it's like they have that sense of conviction and you see that in malachi whereas like he he feels like he's his, his justification for taking the reins it's like you know isaac's not actually like you know he's just all talk and you know he's not actually taking action and we see that in like other kinds of media too with any kind of like political thing where there's a coup you know, <laughs> and there's usually that that character. I, I think that Isaac's character and Malachi's character, like they were definitely the most compelling and the best acted. And then the rest of the kids who are just they're kids. <laughs> they're like kids that have not had any acting instruction from the feel of it. I have to ask you a question because I didn't have enough time to research this as thoroughly as I would have liked. But Isaac was dubbed by a woman, right? Like, was it just me? It sounded like he was dubbed by a lady. Uh, no, his voice is just just like that. He is just a very high voice. And even as an adult, he was actually on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He was on a couple episodes as like a guest character. And yeah, his voice almost sounds like the same even in, in adulthood. Uh, so yeah and he the, the creepiest part is like he looks almost exactly the same except like an well, adult sized body <laughs> oh how, no how old how old do you think he was when he filmed children of the corn uh, he was probably like let's say probably like 14 maybe he looks like a 40 year old trapped in a 10 year old's body alex how old do you think he was <laughs> i i thought he was like 12 but i was assuming he was probably like 14 or 15 just because they always like have actors that look younger playing parts so if you add your two you're closer he was 25 what God. <laughs> he was born in 1959 oh my god <laughs> wow that is amazing wow I, my mind's blind I, yeah. <laughs> okay so that explains some things so never mind he, he there were four <laughs> build cast members that were adults uh that's crazy I, have you ever seen the movie orphan yes I, I, you know where i'm going with this right like uh so like Orphan, it's one of these like kids killing people movie and you watch it and you're kind of like, ah, this is dumb. Like, cause it's a little kid killing people. And then you find out, nope, it's somebody, it's like a, basically a little person pretending to be a kid. And then you see it and you're like, 
Oh, it is. Like, it's not just like the movie saying it is. You realize it is. And then it makes it very scary because you realize it's an adult who can do these things. And But they actually found some, but they must have gotten the idea from Children of the Corn the way they casted it. That's amazing. The child and the orphan is the, is also in Hunger Games. Okay. She does the same, she does the same sort of thing. Yeah. But he he graduated from the University of Illinois in the same year that this movie came out. Wow. With a BFA in theater and teaching. I my mind's blown. Every time I come on here my mind's blown. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually, I feel like I did some research into him, and I still didn't know that. You just didn't look at his birthday. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, who looks at that? It's like, yes, he was born. <laughs> you know what? I just figured out what the problem with this movie is. Like, beyond, beyond everything we've already said. But I, I think the big problem with this movie is they don't really frame the kids where you can ever truly be afraid of them. And I think that end scene is endemic of it because mm-hmm. when you see the guy, like like you said, he's shoving him off. He's throwing him to the left, to the right. Like, it's really not a big deal. He's just running because it's like zombies, right? Like, they pile up on him or whatever. But even then, right. it's not really a big deal. Like, he pulls a knife and they all back up, like all 30 yeah. of them or whatever. But when he actually has an intense showdown, it's with this supernatural force. It's not with the kids. And then you see the kid again. And he just kind of like slams the door and she falls over back. And he's like, oh, she passed out. What am I going to do? And they're like, walk to Seattle. And so they just like keep walking. And uh, <laughs> they never really frame the kids like you're supposed to be afraid of them, I guess. Like they're, they're telling you to be afraid of them, but they're not showing us that we should be afraid of them. Yeah. Well, I think the yeah. I think the, the only time where you ever get that is with the um, the mechanic guy who like seems to have some kind of strange deal as like the only surviving adult in the area i guess he's like supposed to you know not tell people about their existence or like not he has ties to gasoline which they need that's the whole that's why they're keeping him alive is because he has the resources to keep the town running and that's why he says that he has no gas so that it goes to them instead i would guess okay yeah and where is i going with that um I forgot. What was I just talking about? <laughs> I don't know. They're <laughs> talking about how Bert just kind of throw, throws the kids around. Oh, yeah. The, the the whole thing with the mechanic is like then they kill the dog and you found like the dog's little scarf in the in like the, under the hood of the car. And it's like, oh, no, they killed the dog. And then they kill him. And it's like, OK, so I guess they kill people, even though we've already seen that. So it's just kind of like rehashing old things. And it's like, yeah, we get it. They're, they're killing adults. They're, they just want kids. And you get the whole, they sacrifice themselves on their 19th birthday. And it's just like you get these puzzle pieces. And yeah, they don't really fit together to like actually make you afraid. Like even when Bert, there's a moment, there's actually a couple moments in this movie where Bert is in the middle of a circle of kids with weapons and he just takes one of them and throws them out of the way and runs. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it happens multiple times. And it's just like, why? Yeah. Like, why should we be afraid of these kids? Cause like the whole idea is that, yes, they all have weapons and like, maybe you're unarmed and you know, they, a bunch of kids with weapons versus you with no weapons, not a good situation. You get, you get cut, you get hurt, you get like knocked down, you're done. But they never even have a moment of like where he gets knocked over or trips or something and like the kids are all like 
you know, on top of him, and then something saves him at the last moment. Like, you know, we, we all see that trope in other kind of like action horror movies before. And it's like, we don't even get that. You don't even get this sticky trope to make us it's, it's, feel would, something. It would be so easy to make those kids scarier too. And they just don't do it. Like you could have a kid. Okay. So they got those sides while they're running around, right? Like have the side, like nick one of their ankles or something while they're running through the corn and then all of a sudden they're like down on the ground and they're like struggling to get by and you just see a kid slowly walk up and now your your hamstrings busted and somebody's coming out like the, there's so many little things you could do like that have them set up traps not super complicated traps but you know like easy kid traps that maybe are dangerous you know um i'm not saying go full kevin McAllister or anything but <laughs> you know, like you, yeah. you could have something in a in a bucket that burns or something, and they open a door, and all of a sudden, like a pail hits you, and and your skin's burning. Like, there's so many stupid things you could do like that, but they don't employ any of them. It's just like the kids like yell interloper, outlander, point at them, occasionally brandish weapons, and for some reason, they've really committed to not killing this couple even though yeah. they seem to want to kill the couple. It, it's it's strange. That's that's what I was going to say, actually. Like, yeah. the easiest way to make them more frightening would be, like, if they'd actually sacrificed Vicky. The opening scene of this movie is so full of potential. When, they're, when they poison the diner, and then when they're actually murdering the still-living members uh, of the adult community in the diner. Like, that is so potent. And it's also visceral in its use of, again, cruelty. Because as we were watching it, they, like, push the guy into the deli slicer. And it's like, see, now, they didn't got to do that to him. <laughs> that was, like, that was a little that was a little bit rude. And I think that that is one of those things where had they kept up that attitude throughout the film, it would have been a lot scarier. The other thing about this movie that I think is just going to make the premise of this hard to execute is you have to find the line between recognizing that these are children versus recognizing that they are evil. Because you mentioned them being kind of zombie-like, right? And there are moments in this where Isaac shows like childlike emotion when he gets pushed down uh, by Malachi nearing the end of the movie, like his outburst is so childlike. And so how do you convey that sort of childlike quality to what we are supposed to be like a ruthless, cold-blooded murderer? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you weave those two together? And I think that they do it a good job with Malachi because that they cut out off the child part of him. He's, he's already past that age. So I, I think that that's, you know, one of the, the things that is difficult in this movie where it didn't necessarily hit the mark either. Yeah, I mean, maybe an answer is, uh, so maybe have Sarah start to believe in, in her visions and then come after them or something. Like show a kid who's like, who you can be attached to and show their innocence and then have her like suddenly snap on them because she just like, oh, I'm, I'm meant to do this. Like I drew this, so this mm -hmm. needs to happen. Like that kind of uh. stuff. I think if you employed it could work, but even then the kids are so binary. They're evil. They're evil or they're good. That's it. Like it's except when Isaac gets possessed, right? which is a whole <laughs> different problem. 
<laughs> Children of the Corn was really boring. <laughs> it's also like, how crazy is this? <laughs> this movie? And it's not for, for how crazy the concept is. Like, you'd think that the movie would be a little more entertaining. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Zach. This is Matt. This is Biggs. And remember to tip your cows. All right, name one Wu-Tang Clan song. (laughs) (laughs) This interview's over. Zach and Matt discuss some of the best and worst horror movies out there. Check out all four seasons of Watch No Evil. Lauren and Sarah riff on changing topics each week. Whether it's celebrity horoscopes, the poop cruise, or smell-o-vision, you'll laugh along with Dippers. Catch up on pop culture news and reviews every week with Brandon Biggs and Carl on Not Safe for Network. Professor Aaron Donaldson and Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan break down war movies, their narratives, and the rhetoric behind them on Real War Project. 